Is there something in your life that seems unmovable, obstacle, barrier, a place in your life that needs a breakthrough? We want, we want probe into that, Janice, but uh, <laughs> I'll put you on the spot. But if there is that kind of place in your life, you heard the good news today, a move of God is on the way. There may be those things that seem unmovable, those forces that seem invincible, those problems that seem unbearable, but the good news is... Amen. <laughs> In fact, let's bring that energy into this room. Take a moment and just identify one little problem, one little hang-up, one little something in your life. Identify it. Something you've been dealing with. Okay, got it named? All right. That's going to move. That's going to change. There's going to be a breakthrough. Why? Because a move of God is on the way. Let's say that together. A move of God is on the way. Now, it may seem that we just contradicted my sermon from last week. <laughs> For those of you who were here last week, you really were in a conversation with me. And since the sermon, you've been in a conversation with me about last week's message. The first part kind of flew right by. We were talking on Pentecost Sunday about what the Spirit does and what the Spirit doesn't do. We talked about how the Spirit helps us and the Spirit intercedes us, intercedes with us. That part went over just fine. Then I got to the section about what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. And those of you who weren't here last week will get the wrap in about 30 seconds here. The rest had about 20 minutes of it. But what the Spirit doesn't do is plan it, choose it, fix it, or do it. We went through those different points, how sometimes there's a problem in our life, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we're on our knees thinking that God's just going to poof and fix the problem. Sometimes we need a little bit less prayer and more action, or maybe we need to redefine prayer as action. We are called to spend that time in prayer and that time on our knees. But then we're called to get up and engage and be involved in our lives. And not wait around for the Holy Spirit to do what we're called to do. Now the downside of all that is that some of you got the idea that I was saying that the Holy Spirit is not really engaged. That the Holy Spirit is kind of off over here while we flop around in frustration and the Holy Spirit seems to get a kick out of watching us flop around. <laughs> That's not the idea. The real call in our engagement with the Holy Spirit is to move from a place of being passive to a place of being active. Working in conjunction with the Spirit and in collaboration with the Spirit to do the work that we're called to do together in the world. It's very alive, very abundant, and very engaged. Today we'd like to go further in this whole idea of the Spirit by looking at another way the Spirit is engaged. We want to look today at how the Spirit leads us. And if you look at your scripture from Romans there on page 2, I'd like us to look at four ways the Spirit leads us. Here is this active 
partnership, this active engagement. And no, the Spirit's not going to plan it or choose it or do it or fix it. But the Spirit will actively engage with us in some amazing and powerful work. And those barriers and those blocks where a move of God is needed is a move that works through us and a change that happens through us. So looking at the scripture, the first way that the Spirit leads us is to our truest identity. The scripture you have before you says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Yet if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. The Spirit leads us to our truest identity. This particular scripture is one of the most misinterpreted scriptures in the history of Christianity. Paul oftentimes talks in extremes, and he does so here. He talks about putting to death the deeds of the body. And how some have interpreted this is to mortify the flesh, to take this to that kind of extreme. If you saw the movie The Da Vinci Code, you might remember the scene where that monk was beating himself and where there was actually blood dripping out from under his robe. He was mortifying the flesh. He was putting to death, in a sense, his very body. That's not the point here, and that's really not what Paul was intending to say. What Paul was intending to say is to put aside the externals. Put aside the things that are okay but don't necessarily hold the very center of our spiritual gravity. To put those things aside. To remember that the spirit is where the real life is. The body, it's okay. Stuff, it's okay. But he's inviting us to define ourselves, to root our identity in that which really matters, which is the life of the Spirit. Oftentimes we do find ourselves putting all our focus on the externals, what we drive, where we eat, what we wear, and all of that stuff on some level is dying. I've heard it said that when looking for a relationship, it's important to marry a person and not a body. Now when you meet somebody, she may look good, she may have a nice little move when she walks, she may even smell good, she may be sexy and impressive. And hallelujah to you too. (laughs) I mean, she may be the most gorgeous goddess you've ever seen, but remember this she's dying. She's dying. If you marry a body, you're going to lose a little bit every single day. If you marry a person, a spirit, someone who's growing in their faith, someone who's engaged, someone who's living love at every moment, someone who's maturing, you are going to 
Mary a person, someone who you will share a lifetime with, life time, spirit time, love time, growth time, eternal time. How amazing and how beautiful is that? If you read the Houston Chronicle, they have this section that comes out sometimes and it says, fresh, stale, and moldy. <laughs> and the truth is, none of us are fresh anymore. <laughs> We're all dying a little bit every day physically, yet spiritually there is that amazing life. So where does the Spirit lead us? The Spirit leads us to our truest identity who we are in the deepest part of ourselves. And it's hard for us sometimes to find that place because everyone's telling us who we should be and how to dress and what to drive. They're telling us who we should strive to be. They're trying to define us, and our families have done that, and our churches have done that. The call of this scripture is to find that place of true identity, and the Spirit will lead us there. The Spirit's not going to fix it, do it, plan it, or choose it. But if we simply pray, show me who I really am, help me to know myself and to know God, that's a prayer the Spirit will engage with us and help us to answer. So that's the first thing. The Spirit leads us to our truest identity. Where else does the Spirit lead us? Number two, the Spirit leads us to a place of belonging. If you look at your scripture there, there's some powerful, powerful words. Your scripture says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Take this verse, put it on an index card and stick it to your bathroom mirror so that's the first thing you see in the morning. You can look in the mirror and say, yes, I'm dying, but I am a child of God. And I'm alive on the inside. I know who I really am. I haven't brushed my teeth yet. I haven't combed my hair yet. I haven't washed my face yet. I'm not looking too good in this mirror, but I see who I am in Christ and in the Spirit. And how beautiful and powerful is that? Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Better yet, blow this thing up on poster board and put it right beside your bed so the first thing you see in the morning when you get up is the truth of who you are in Christ. And every time that day someone tries to define you or discourage you or beat you down or tell you you're not worthy, remember who you are. Memorize this scripture. It is so powerful. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I am absolutely convinced that if the entire world began to believe this one scripture, the entire world would change and divisions would come down and boundaries would come down. We would be a world of justice and equality. It's, it's this simple and yet we have such a hard time grasping it and believing it. One of the greatest general secretaries of the National Council of Churches was the first woman General Secretary of the National Council of Churches. She was the first one who really began to engage churches everywhere around the issue of full inclusion of all people. And I'd like you to hear a little bit of how she grapples with this scripture in a beautiful and powerful way. You're hearing now from Joan Brown Campbell, as read by Reverend Janice. The text is not just about you or me in our isolated individual lives. The text is about all God's children living together in community in the midst of the gift of lush and welcoming creation. We are children of God. What does the text say? All who are led by the Spirit of God 
are children of God. So family is defined as large and generous and inclusive. We hear lots of talk about family values, yet if we listen carefully, this talk of family values is narrow, small, exclusive. We are kin to all God's children, and because God first loved us, we are called, expected, and equipped to love one another. This understanding is key to the, 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 the development of a just society. Hmm. When we remember who we are, we remember who others are. And there is only love between us because the Christ in me sees the Christ in you. So simple and yet so difficult to live. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. One of our proudest moments as a congregation was within just the last couple of weeks. It's a moment when we truly lived out this scripture. It was the day when California Supreme Court came down with their decision about marriage equality. And by that evening, we had organized a gathering right here on the front lawns of the church. Channel 11 was flying above in a helicopter, and there was other coverage. But what was powerful in that moment is that it was not a spirit of anger or a spirit of bitterness. Instead, what we experienced together as families came together, and those who had been married in California came together, is that we are family, and if you just get to know us, you will love us. And you will see that the love in us is true. This scripture makes it very clear that all who love are called to be in relationship and in the relationships they choose. This scripture makes it very clear that it is time for all 50 states to make it legal for all who choose to marry to marry. Because all are the children of God. It's not going to change by debate. It will change by relationship and by heart. Change hearts, you'll change the votes. Powerful scripture. And then now some more from Joan Brown Campbell. Think of the time, energy, pain, and suffering that has gone into humanity's attempt to define who is in the family and who is not, who is a member of the family and who is on the outside. We have separated people by race, by gender, by class, by sexual orientation, by denomination, by national identity, by age, by a thousand other separations. These separations are feeble and faithless attempts to define God's family as smaller than it is. War and violence have been justified to protect the divisions that we have drawn, carefully defining who is friend and who is enemy, who is in, and who is out. What does the text say? All who are led by the Spirit are children of God. This profound understanding of God's unconditional love frees us to love one another, to lace judgment with mercy, to seek reconciliation in a dividend and war-weary world. Once we dare to believe that all are God children, then the idea of one community, one family, is all that really makes sense. One family. It's all that really makes sense. 
one great, big, beautiful, buoyant, purpose-driven, loving family crossing borders and boundaries and joining hearts, young and old, black and white, festive and dull, everyone together celebrating and living the fullness of our faith. The boundaries are there, the borders are there, but the good news is a move of God is on the way. And it happens through each one of us. So where is the Spirit leading us to our truest identity? To our real place of belonging. And that's bottom line. We all really just want to belong. <laughs> we just want to belong. That's why I think baseball is such a popular sport. It's about making it home. That's how you win. You go home. Where else does the Spirit lead us? The Spirit also leads us to a place of courage takes all this truth and puts it into action. Hear these words. For you did not receive a spirit of captivity to fall back into fear. We are called to fully embrace our freedom and the spirit will lead us there. We are called to never go back to Egypt no matter how comfortable Egypt may be seemed. There is this tendency sometimes to get souped up at church, to get excited, to feel the strength of the community. And then you go to work, and who do you run into but that boss who always gives you the look? And suddenly you are held captive by your boss's attitude. You, you define the situation. You, you know what captivity is for you. The Spirit is seeking to lead all of us to a place where we are fully free. For we no longer have one foot in Egypt and one foot in the promised land, but both feet firmly planted and then moving through the promised land and inviting others to it and sharing it with others. It's so easy, however, for our buttons to get pushed and for us to fall back. If you look at that scripture, you'll see that phrase, fall back. We have this tendency to move forward. It's going great. And then we fall back because some button gets pushed. Oftentimes, our movement back into fear is subtle and unconscious. And we don't even know we're there until we're there. <laughs> Then we wonder how we got there. How did I get into this bad mood? How did this fear creep in? How am I going back to my old ways and to my repeated patterns? And yet we heard the song today, there's a breakthrough. And when you have the breakthrough, there's no going back. One of the most powerful witnesses and examples of this is Nelson Mandela. He spent 30 years in actual captivity. One of the greatest days in the history of his life and in the history of South Africa was whenever he was inaugurated as the first African president of South Africa. But actually there at the inauguration, he had to choose freedom. He had to choose to not fall back. Because during his inauguration, he looked out into the massive crowd and sitting within his vision was the one guard who had held him prisoner for 30 years. The jailer was sitting out there. Now, at that point, Mandela had a choice to make. He had the power at that point to have that person removed from that room. He could have said, this is the person who held me captive for 30 years and he has no right to be here on this day or at this celebration. Take him out of here. But Mandela knew in his heart that had he gone there, he would have returned to a different kind of captivity. Not behind prison bars, but a prison of the soul and of his spirit. 
And rather than sending that jailer from the room, he said, bring him up here and have him sit with my family. He's no longer the one holding me captive. He is now the one who's a part of me and a part of this day. Nelson Mandela modeled what it means to not fall back into fear. Yet we go there so quickly and so easily. (laughs) We're, We're afraid to have that conversation with her because we're afraid of her reaction. We're afraid to get out of this abusive situation because we're afraid there'll be nothing else for us. So we choose to receive the abuse and put up with it and deal with it and minimize it and rationalize it. We're afraid to give because we're afraid we don't have too much. We're afraid we don't have enough, and so we hold back. I believe that the Spirit leads us to places of courage, and one of those places where I believe the Spirit is calling us is to be a courageously generous people. Look at the worship folder today. You'll see that we're uh, behind on our budget. You'll also see that we are managing well, and we're, we're paying our bills, but it's a tight squeeze. I am convinced that Resurrection MCC does not have a financial problem, but a fear problem. I believe that God would never call any of us to give more than we can. But I think we're afraid to pray that prayer because we might be afraid that the Spirit's going to ask us to give more than we have. The Spirit doesn't work that way. The Spirit is not abusive that way. However, I believe that all of our financial challenges would be solved if every single person would simply pray, God Where are you leading me? How are you calling me to give? And then just listen. See where the Spirit leads. I can guarantee you the Spirit is not going to lead you to bankruptcy. The Spirit may challenge you and stretch you, but you will find a deeper fullness and you will find yourself in the flow of amazing generosity And you will find all of us working together as led individually by the Spirit to a place of a community led by the Spirit to powerful and generous places. We don't have a financial problem. It's a fear problem, a courage problem. That's true for any relationship that we have. We are called to go to these courageous places, these places of amazing growth and life. So where's the Spirit leading us to our truest identity? a place of belonging, to a place of courage. And then the Spirit is leading us to a place of eternal inheritance. The Scripture says God's Spirit joins with our spirit to declare that we are God's children. And if we are children, we are heirs as well, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. This is another one that's difficult to wrap our hearts and our minds around because it's so awesome. This is another Scripture that's oftentimes been misinterpreted. People hear this idea of being joint heirs and co-heirs with God and with Christ and they start imagining the Rolls Royce and the pearly gates and the marble mansion. What this is really saying, if you look at it closely, is this is not something waiting for us out there. It is something for us to experience now. This is not an inheritance that we will receive at some point in the future. What this is saying is that we are already a part of what God is doing for all time. Everywhere that justice is happening and equality is happening and good is happening, we're a part of that. 
If there's a movement in the heart of the person next to you today, it's also moving in your heart because that is the work of God. It's a work that we share. We are co-heirs in all the good that God is doing in the world and all the good that God will ever do. We're a part of that. When those walls finally come down and those boundaries are finally broken, we are a part of that movement. This move of God that's on the way, it's not out there. It's in here moving out there. We're just called to be a part of it part of God's eternal love. Desmond Tutu says it this way, God loves us. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more and nothing we can do to make God love us less. Our adoption is forever and we are all God's children. This place of eternal inheritance is the forever moment that is the now moment. Joan Brown Campbell goes on to say it this way. We may consider ourselves bruised, but we are not broken. So we're called to rise up with courage. So come, let us gather up our bruised selves for the people who are to be fed. Let us gather up our bruised selves for there are captives to be freed, the lonely to be loved, the babies to be born and nurtured and cradled and kissed. The promises of God are true and can be trusted. That's all we need to know. Hope is not cheap. Hope is our Christian calling. Hope is a mark of our faithfulness. A hopeful people bear witness in a doubtful world that the God of history has hold of us and we are not afraid. My vision for resurrection is that this would be a place where the God of history is working and moving in ways that we can't even yet imagine. That in fact we would go beyond imagine to that place of truly leaning into the fullness of God's hope and vision that is greater than anything we can hope or vision. The Holy Spirit may not fix it, choose it, plan it, or do it, but the Holy Spirit will lead us right through it. Amen.